conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. I'm Herschel York, Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping servants of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in their ministry in the church. Each time we have a Pastor Well Podcast, I am delighted to introduce people whom I admire to the Pastor Well audience. And man, there is nobody that I admire more and enjoy having on this podcast more than today's guest, Dr. Charlie Dates. He is the senior pastor at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago, uh, became the pastor there when he was only 30 years old, uh, has a PhD in historical theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and uh, is one of the greatest preachers in America. I say that with no hyperbole whatsoever. You bless me immensely. Welcome to Pastor Well. Man, thank you. I, I told Scott, man, I got a check for you in my bag for the, the, the <laughs> kind uh, remarks. Your listeners ought to know that in my house in Chicago, our household, we refer to you as Uncle Herschel. So when uh, when Kiersey, when the kids were asking where was I going yesterday, I said, oh, I'm going to see Uncle Uncle Herschel. And they said, oh, the, the guy on the Cracker Barrel menu? And, uh, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> By the way, that's what I always get at Cracker Barrel. Oh, straight that's up. my favorite meal, <laughs> Cracker Barrel. Yeah, I mean, uh, they name you a meal after you. That's right. You, you better eat, eat it. You got to eat it. But thank you, man, for the very kind and uh, undeserved invitation to be with you. Uh, well, uh, man, I've looked forward to this for a long time. Uh the very first time I heard you preach, I just thought, wow, God's hand is on this mm. young man. And everything about you oozes Jesus. Mm. Uh, I love that about you. Uh, I, I want to talk a lot about your preaching and the way you think about preaching. But I'd like to hear just a little bit about uh, where you grew up and your background. Yeah, so I grew up in a neighborhood called Morgan Park on the far south side of Chicago. Usually people uh, like today, they say, well, you know, which part of Chicago are you from? That's a good question. Chicago has 77 neighborhoods. And African-American people mainly live when they settled in Chicago on the south and west sides. But the south side is so long, there's a near part and a far side. We're uh-huh. so far where I grew up, about two exits out of the city once you once you leave us. I grew up in a, in a neighborhood called Morgan Park. I went to an elementary school that was actually owned and operated by our local church. It's the Mount Calvary uh, Baptist Church. And so, believe it or not, man, I went to school where I went to church, mm-hmm. which created um, a wonderful nurturing environment for me to not only develop socially, but to literally learn the word of God uh, six days out of the week. Um, Were your parents Christians? But Yeah, so I didn't know my dad for a good portion growing up. I later found out that, yeah, he is a Christian too. But my mom, um, absolutely. She. So my story is kind of like Timothy in, in the sense that Paul says, I'm convinced that the faith mm-hmm. that dwelt in your mother and your grandmother lives in you i that that's me man um i own it by every uh measure of the definition of owning faith it isn't just something i inherited right it's mine but i had no way to escape the grace of god man i just ran into yeah. it well it's like moses yeah as a as a baby he he, he lives because of the faith of his parents yeah. but later he has to 
refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and right. and choose the reproach that's of Christ right. and and yeah. it, it became his and that's what's happened with you. Well, thank you for my birthday sermon this year. I think I'll uh, I'll pull that one out. That'll work, sure. man. <laughs> Glad to help. Thank you. So yeah, man, I, I grew up there and uh, I ended up going to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, really because my older brother went to school there. He ended up going to undergrad in the law school there. But it ended up being the most fortuitous thing in my life because uh, my first week down there, I signed up for a class. It was a course, the University of Illinois Black Course. And I met the conductor's daughter. And that's why I went to Illinois. Uh, more than a degree, oh, yeah. I, I went to meet Kirsty, And so uh, I ended up meeting my bride there. It took us a while there. It took me a long time to convince her. By the way, her. she is absolutely lovely. Thank you, man. You, you know, I think highly of you, but you outpunted your coverage <laughs> yes, with her. Sir. <laughs> yes, sir. And I may say the same uh, yeah. for, for, for you. I know you're God's spoiled child. Yes, I am. Um, but but yeah, man, so that's I got a chance to meet her and get to know her, know her family. And for me, uh, her family went to a church, uh, the Canaan Baptist Church in Champaign-Urbana. The pastor is a man named uh, B.J. Tatum, and he is just what I would call a classic expositor. So I'm not trying to race out front, but I'm just saying that in terms of my story, mm -hmm. yeah, um, getting to know Kirstie and also falling in love with classical exposition, falling in love with Kirstie and falling in love with classical exposition happened yeah. around the same time. That's well, wow, two great loves, yeah, and what a providence of God. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you you majored in rhetoric. I did in speech communication and rhetoric. Yeah. So at Illinois, were you all right? I've got to ask. Was that part of a plan in becoming uh, a preacher? No. Did you feel called before that? Yeah, I did feel called. So to answer your question, I preached my trial sermon. That's what we called it. Let me, let me back you up. Sure. What, what age did you trust Christ? Oh, so early. I almost can't remember a time in life okay. where I didn't. Um, but I got baptized. I was like five, okay. five or six. Um, and so, uh, again, I own my faith, but I felt called to preach early on as a boy yeah and I did too. the I was 10 the the pastor uh i think wisely in retrospect didn't let me go for it i still wish i would have I wish they would have but the week before i left for school for college i was 17 august uh 16 1998 uh they let me preach my first sermon so i literally preached that sunday evening do you remember what you preached I do. It was Second Corinthians chapter four, I believe, and then the passage was called. Uh, I mean, the sermon was called "The Treasure in Earthen Vessels." Uh -huh. Yeah. So I didn't have much creativity behind sermon titles, but yeah. Well, you know, you can't beat the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. <laughs> but lifted it straight from the passage. Uh, so yeah, man, the treasure in in jars of clay and jugs of mud was my first uh, my first sermon. Was it any good? Come as on, much you, as you a, think it was you, uh, I mean, for what you knew. I thought about this the other week because the, we just passed the anniversary uh, about two weeks ago. And um, I leaned heavily on other preachers and commentators. So there was a little bit of, of my thought therein. So I, I, I think the substance was good and was reliable, mm -hmm. but it wasn't totally mine. Per se. It'd be hard to have really your own voice that early At on. 17, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're, you're hearing others and, and their triggering thoughts and what you could do with it, but yeah. you're still going to largely mimic yeah. 
yeah. the, the good preachers you've heard yep. and have, that have affected you. And I can say this to that point, having good people to mimic, um, as I reflect upon the sermon, it was true. I didn't lie on God. I didn't lie on the passage. Uh, so I, I thought I literally just thought about that. Could I sit and listen to that 17 year old kid at my my age today? Uh, he told the truth. that Yeah. Day. And I think if you heard that 17 year old preach that, you'd say, that's really good for a 17 year old. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it would be. I'm sure it would be. So uh, while you're in college, uh, you're discipled by the pastor there? I, I am really more so. So Kiersey's dad is uh, was at the time the associate pastor at that church, Dr. Harold Davis. And uh, he and Dr. Uh, pastor BJ Tatum, they were, they were really close. Uh, and, and Kiersey's dad ran a Tuesday night Bible study on campus for essentially whoever would show up. Uh, so I ended up being discipled more by him uh, per se than I was by the senior pastor. But the senior pastor, Pastor Tatum, nonetheless, gave us full entree to he and his schedule and we got to go places with him and, and that kind of thing. Was it awkward at all? You're being discipled by the man that is the father of the young lady you're interested in? It was strategic. It wasn't awkward. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was part of my aim uh was to was to get in and to learn what I could. So I'm the kind of guy too, Uncle Herschel, who um I'm pretty clear on what I want when I know it. And, and I rarely pull the trigger if I don't know it. So Kiersey and I told this story at a young adult retreat this past weekend. I just, I'm, I'm like four for four in life from the house we bought to the woman I married to the, the time we were going to have our children, all of that. I could just call it when I know it, I know it. And so, man, when I saw her, I just figured the plan was to get in her mother's class and, and hang out with her dad. And it, it was a matter of time. Uh, that resonates with me so much. As we are recording this, it is on the 39th anniversary of uh, uh, my first date with Tanya. Whoa. And that very day, you know, we, I just laid out for what God was doing and said, are you in? And she said, yeah, I'm in. And 13 days later, bought the rings. And <laughs> so, you know, yeah, uh, man. I, I get it. When when the Lord shows you, that's right. You, you know it. That's so, right. Uh, so... Uh, then after college, all right, what, what age did you marry? We got married at 20, I was 25, she was 24. Can I say this though about the majors? Sure. You, you were asking about the majors. Uh, I originally thought that I would major in religious studies. And so it was when I got to Illinois and I took a religious studies class and I figured that that ain't God's will for my life. Yeah, um, I'm and, sure. <laughs> yeah, so I, I immediately dropped out of that and declared, uh, speech communication as the major, and because I did so much supporting coursework and rhetoric, I was able to to basically double major. With yeah, them. but that was part of uh, a path for you. You you were thinking going into ministry, this will help me in ministry. I was, and I knew that after undergrad was some kind of further training, academic training, and so I wanted a, a foundation that would help me understand the classics. It would help me uh, to be able to uh, interpret texts one way or the other. I didn't know exactly what I'd do, but it, w- it would have been good had I decided to go to law school or anywhere else right. for that matter. So that was in the back of my mind. And then you went to Trinity for seminary? Of all places, man, I landed. 
at the Trinity, the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I say that because I was on my way to Yale. So I had applied and been admitted to Yale. And uh, I had also applied to uh, a Master's in Human Resource Management program at Illinois. It was the top two program in the country at the time. This is about what year? This is this is my last year, so 2002 gotcha. of, of undergrad. And um, I, to be honest with you, Trinity was nowhere on my radar. I didn't even know it existed. In fact, the way that I found out about it was the, the Dr. Dwight Perry, who's the first African-American PhD out of TEDs. He was a professor at Moody at the time. He was preaching at our home church. I had come home and He's the deacons had told him, hey, here's here's one of our guys. He's thinking about going to divinity school. And he said, oh, you know, I want to take you to the school up north. And I was like, oh, OK, well, what is that? So he told me the name. I said, no, I'm, I'm all right. It, I said, I am interested in seeing Moody, though. Believe it or not, I had never spent any time in, on Moody's campus, having grown up in Chicago. And he said, OK, I'll take you to Moody if you let me take you to this other school. And man, that ended up being God's will for my life. I, I turned the fellowship down at Yale. I turned down a very handsome fellowship at at Illinois, which I don't say that to any kind of glory or aggrandizement, but for somebody who wanted to make money, I was trying to broker with the Lord a deal mm -hmm. that I'd be a wonderful professional who would support a local pastor and a church, be the best advocate they, they ever could have if you just let me kind of yeah. do something else professionally. And that was a, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back moment in my life, a defining moment that literally I, I, the world behind me, the cross before me, it became the mantra, the theme of, of those years. And did the Lord use seminary to shape you theologically and missionally? What happened in your heart and life at, I don't at think Trinity? Anybody's ever asked me that question that way. I, I don't know that the Lord used seminary to shape me theologically maybe it would be fair for me to say that I got to whatever extent one can be concretized theologically. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. I, I think the church had shaped me and formed me theologically before I got there and my home, my, my, my family. Um, so I, I got a chance to understand the underpinnings, the scholarly insights behind what I knew to be true. Also, in fairness to, to the wonderful education I feel like I got at Trinity, I got exposed to a lot that I otherwise would not have been. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to, uh, to develop some convictions based upon history and historical theology. And then, of course, the introduction to and the having the master at that point, the original languages, uh, created a kind of dimension uh, to my my understanding of the scripture and to my ability to explain the passages. So it, it was, whereas I don't know that I would say it shaped me, it certainly profoundly um, concretized it. It put the boundaries and the borders around me for what I hope is going to be a long and productive ministry. Were you serving in a church while you were in seminary or were you preaching around different places? What, what did that look like? Mainly serving in a church. Yeah, there's no way to do it. So I went to, if I may, I went to Trinity's a largely white evangelical divinity school. And I'm from uh, a black church growing up and a black church in undergrad. I knew nothing about Trinity. 
when I got to the campus, there were so few black people. It was I, I was I can't stay here during the weekends. I like I got to find somewhere to go, and uh, and so we had to do these field ads, and ultimately an internship. And so I took to a church about 88 miles west of the the Divinity School, and started to do my field ads. And that church essentially became the locus of my uh, work during those years. And I commuted to school. So I was in church, not only on the weekends, but during the week and then going to school and able to on the ground, I hope, not only contextualize what I was learning, but I was being, as I'd like to call textualized myself. And uh, you went on and did your doctorate there? I did. I did. So uh, actually, I, so I started, I, I became the associate pastor, pastor of adult ministries at a very large church in Chicago right when I graduated from TEDS. And then two years after, I went back to start the PhD program and ended up finishing by the grace of God. You know, you and I are both seminary trained, and you continue. You teach at Moody, I believe. Well, uh, adjunctively. Well, I, I teach at Trinity, at Trinity. Really, I know the the bio. That's got to be updated. I have a, yeah. an open door at Moody, but I mainly at Trinity. Okay. Yeah. So we're two guys that believe in seminary education. No yeah. question about it. But uh, what what about the guy that is not going to get to go to seminary? Yeah. Uh, can he preach the word? Hands down probably better than many of us yeah. <laughs> in, in some respects. Um, I think I would say that the church I grew up in, the pastor who preached the gospel uh, to us, and I got saved through that ministry, he was not seminary trained. And so to, to not be able to go to seminary is not at all, or to have academic training is not at all a, a deal breaker. I do think that if you can do it, if the phase of life and the opportunity uh, opens to do it, then you need to do it. Because there is a yeah. difference at times that one can hear in the explanation and proclamation of the scriptures by somebody who is formally trained. That isn't to be snobbish or to be pinky up. No. It's just, it, 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 depending upon how your ears well, trained. I, I, you think can... it, I think it, it, it actually simplifies things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up same way. My dad was not seminary trained. He did go to Bible college, so undergrad. But, man, my dad was a student of the scriptures, and he gave me a love of theology mm. and a love of the mm. scriptures. Uh, and I, 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 like you, I don't want to sound in any way arrogant here, but when I got to seminary, they didn't add much to my theology. Mm. I, mm. But, but they did tell me what I needed to learn That's and who right. I needed to read and yeah. things like that that I think did help. So I'm a great believer in seminary education. Uh, the, the question is not whether or not you are – educated or uneducated right. the question is whether you're formally educated yes. or informally yes. educated yes. because if god's called you that's to preach right. he's called you to study he's that's called right. you to learn and to grow uh but i always want to encourage those guys that are out there and god's called them you can dig man the, i believe in the sufficiency of the word and yes. the holy spirit yes and uh, I, I always like to encourage them uh to get what god has for them as well Tell me about your wife's role in your ministry. Oh man! Oh my goodness! We uh, <laughs> we literally laughed about this uh, yesterday. Who is it? And, and so I, I paraphrase someone else. It, it might be Erwin Lutz or someone who says, "You know, it's it's amazing how often my wife's voice sounds like the Holy Spirit." <laughs> yeah. um, Kirsty 
There is no Charlie Dates as as I am right now, apart from Kirsty. Mm-hmm. And that's no hyperbole or exaggeration. Kirsty prays for me. She challenges me. She encourages me. And she uh, throws velvet bricks when my sermons are, are over. Um, what what I mean by that is the, the critique. Please explain, but I know what yeah. you mean. <laughs> so, so it's heavy, it's weighted, but it's wrapped so cleanly and softly that you don't know what hit you until yeah. after it hit you uh, sometime down the line. And so she knows how to uh, measure out critique for me in, in a very loving way. She also, of course, is the mother of our children and uh, the maker of our home. And you have how many children? We have two children, uh, Charlie and Claire. Charlie's eight, Claire six. They man. are beautiful, too. Right Thank you, they man. They are beautiful. Listen, man, when you marry up, if you marry somebody, yeah. you know, it, it works out good for your kids. That was part of my part of my part of the uh, plan. Yeah, strategy <laughs> there. So um, but as the children grow now in a way where they're a bit more independent, her role in the life of the church is starting to uh, shift and open up. And so I'm, I'm not trying to tell her like, hey, dear, you need to do this. You need to do that. I really want her to have the freedom to explore what it is she feels God is calling her to do and uh, to make it easy for her to get into those spaces to get that done. You're pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. So it's church. What, what size congregation is it? Oh, I, the first Sunday in June this year, there were 930 people there between the services, um, which is a, a great gift. When we first came, it was about 150 people wow. on a Sunday morning. You've been there how long? Eight years. Okay. And, and given the way people go to church now, especially in Chicago, um, what that means is we, we have more than 2,000 people who claim the church as home, but they don't all show up they on the same Sunday. They don't come at the same time, right. So, uh, but, but yeah, it's a, this year it is the 100th anniversary of the start of our church. And so I'm the youngest senior pastor in the church's history, um, in the sense that I got called to the church at 30. How, what's the longest tenure pastor prior to you? you 47 years. 47. Yeah. Uh, wow. We, we have a similar, uh, thing there. When I passed, I went to Pastor Ashland Avenue election and when I was 30 hmm. and I followed only two pastors in the church's history. Clarence Walker was there for 50 years mm. and Ross Range for 23. Mm. And then I, I show up. Mm. And so that was interesting here at Buck Run. So the opposite. We're 200 years old yeah. and I'm the 77th pastor. Whoa. Yeah. But I've been here now. Uh, be almost 16 years. So that makes you what, like uh, in terms of the length of tenure? Uh, I actually, I think, I think I now have the longest tenure. Now my predecessor was here twice for a total of 20, but I think, I think my tenure is the longest hmm. in the his, history. There were a lot of one and two year guys, uh, seminary students and, and what all through the years, but uh, I think I'm the longest one now. Uh, so what are you preaching right now? Well, I've been on sabbatical, man. So I haven't preached. So you've interrupted your sabbatical to be with this, us in the, this, this is, podcast. This Thank is you. it. This is it. And so I literally, and am you're back, working on a book manuscript back in the study in the morning. Yeah. Um, back at the church and, and in the study tomorrow, working on a book manuscript. But when I get back, we just finished a series, a five part series on the book of Esther called uh, living under the hidden hand of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, when God seems silent, he may be most active, I think is the, the tag there. When I get back, though, we're going to begin a series um, 
it's it won't be a line by line, verse by verse series through the book of Acts. I don't know, by the way, this is something we should talk about. I don't know how much my generation is, particularly the one that's coming behind me, can take that kind of four or five year run in a book. Yeah. I've done it. Yeah. And I've done it at Progressive, but I've got to be creative about how we assemble it and break it up. Well, I think there's no question it's harder in one sense than it's been. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones taking years in Ephesians and all that. Yeah. And not not many churches will do it. Maybe I need to flip that and say not many preachers are good enough to do it. Mm. I, I think that I've got to take that responsibility on me and say, ultimately, uh, I've got to be good enough to make them want to come back every week and hear that. But it's harder to do years at a time. I'm in a two-year series on Luke. Mm. in Luke right now. Mm. And I've set aside two years to do it. I'm still in the, in the first year. And uh, I'm loving it. Our church is loving it. I don't think I want to go past two years with anything. Two, it, it would be hard. I think it would be hard. You can do it. You can break it up. You know, stop after, you know, when you get to the Paul section or something. You yeah. could maybe do something else rather than come back to it. There are ways to do it, but it it is it is a challenge it yeah. is a challenge i think to do it but ultimately that burden is on us yeah. so you're you're starting acts i'm going to start acts but i've cherry picked yeah. uh 14 passages we we may do 16 yeah but that's a good way to do it yeah and just and part of the reason i'm doing it too is there is a, such a high level of biblical illiteracy uh today and and i think this just within the span of the years that i've been preaching um that i want to help people put God's big story together. Yeah. And so right. if, if you come, if you're consistent in your attendance and you pay attention somewhat, you'll start to be able to put the narrative of scripture together yeah. over the years. And so that's part of the aim and goal. It's well, I'm on the other end, end of that, you know, 16 years in I'm reaping the benefit mm. of that. And I preach mm. to a church that is largely educated mm. and gets the meta narrative and all that, because this is what I've drilled in. And we have a, a, a discipleship, an adult discipleship program that really reinforces it. We've been very strategic. But it took a it took a while to get there. So You just encouraged me, man. You're reaping the benefits. Now. Yeah. No two ways about it. Mm. it it's uh, Buck Run is just one of the healthiest uh, and that's the word I use. It's just one of the healthiest churches I've seen. The the depth of teaching, the depth of marriages and our men i've really worked on developing men mm. at buck run you know most mm-hmm. churches have a lot more women than they that's do true. men and true. at buck run that's not true mm. uh and everything ab- about what we do is very st- strategic so i want to encourage you just it's line upon line precept upon precept yeah. week in and week out just yeah. being faithful and giving them that big picture yeah. it really is a part of, of what we do yeah uh so what does your sermon prep look like how do you do that well, uh, the pre-work is really beneficial. So getting away once or twice a year to map out the direction in which the calendar is going. Uh, for instance, I put together a series uh, for the Lenten season called uh, Trail to Triumph. And so I selected with our preachers about nine passages. Uh, the benefit of preaching through a book for me helps in my prep process because you just kind of gather all the information up front. Right. So if I do it that way, then I've already read through uh, the occasion, through the history, the background, the geography of the city, 
whatever I could find on the times there, which create a kind of uh, social location for interpreting the lives uh, within the passage. So on Monday, I'm trying to sleep and uh, hang out with the kids. And so I'm flipping through the passage and just kind of mulling it over. I don't want to run straight to any help or anything like that before I just give the Lord a chance and my mind a chance just to tumble with the passage. Yeah. You got, you, you got to see the problems in the text before Mm -hmm. you start looking for somebody's solution to the problems. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to ask those questions yourself. And I'm, I'm amazed too at when I take the time to do that, um, how the Holy spirit uses what I see to be uh, challenges that need to be resolved or whatever in the the passage to meet people right where they are Mm -hmm. when they hear it. And so, uh, come Tuesday, if so, I, I went through First Peter after you. Thanks for that, by the way. Oh. Um, so I watched that series quite a bit. Um, oh, I'm honored. <laughs> and and so I just printed out uh, First Peter in the original language, and I spent about uh, two weeks just, and I'd like double space it, just kind of translating the passage, making my own notes here or there. So it, generally, when that work is done Tuesday, that's where I'm at. I'm just at the the technicality uh, of the passage and working through uh, what I call an exegetical outline. So large picture, I'm trying to build an exegetical outline that then will, I'll build a parallel homiletical outline alongside of it. So Tuesday, I'm, I'm doing all of that and I'm making notes about the grammar and the diagram. And uh, then I'm loading in Tuesday evening, Wednesday, starting to read uh, what I can. And my reading interests kind of move in different ways, depending upon the passage. Sometimes it's really technical. And then sometimes it's just like, I got it. I don't need to kind of go as, as far into it. And then by Wednesday, I better be developing a proposition, a main idea, a thesis, and working toward a homiletical outline. And this is where, to be honest with you, I feel like my preaching needs the most work. I'll lean uh, heavier on the exegetical side and at times not enough on the homiletical. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the week, I am too often scurrying for illustrations if I haven't got to it time time ahead. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to figure out a winsome way to phrase things, uh, illustrations and ideas to get to turn our ears into eyes and a goal in one sense that's going to move the church forward in our mission based upon what, what I'm preaching through. So, yeah. Uh, what, what is your hard deadline? When, it, when does it have to be finished? Saturday night. I, I would love it. As my kids get older, um, it's becoming like Friday evening. Like, so by the time we do Friday movie night, I need to be done. Um, but then, too, I'm on the road quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and so if I can take advantage of the daytime that I'm free on the road, then then that helps me. But I typically need about a day to do what Dr. Frank Thomas calls creative dislocation. And and that is to say to, to just drop it and to let my mind kind of start to put it in pieces itself. Yeah. And then I'm up early Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first service is at eight. I'm probably at it at about four thirty or so, sitting down, lining, crossing out stuff that didn't go make it, polishing other things, and uh, and praying my way hot, uh, as HB would say. Yeah, you know I have two deadlines, so I have the deadline for my 
sermon skeleton that's going to go in our bulletin and they yeah. make slides for because we do fill in the blanks. But Sunday morning is my deadline for everything else that goes in that. Yeah. You know, typically I'm done with that. So, so Friday my I get the skeleton in. But then I'm continuing to think and toy with it even up until Sunday morning. Yeah. And right before I leave the house, I send my final version, whatever I take into the pulpit with me to our media guys so they can follow along and put it up. But that, that helps me, that dislocation you talk about. I, so when I, I send that the skeleton in on Friday, and I've done all my work, but I'm not fine-tuned it, I leave it for a little bit yeah. until Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and and then I'm I'm putting finishing touches on it, and that that helps me coming at it twice, really. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the a, a way to look at that is that on Monday I'm typically a better preacher Monday than I was on Sunday <laughs> because I got it out Sunday. Yeah. So I'm trying to push that day back. If I could get it out and then have a day to play with it, then on Sunday I'm better than than I would have been. Yeah. Say, had I just come. how many services do you have? We have two. On Sundays, uh, do you, are you usually better in the second service than the first? It really volleys. I agree. Yeah, I, uh, we only have one now, but when we had two, and they, actually, I mean, we had three. Uh, there, there were times the first one was better, and I like, oh, and they hit that again in the second one. You yeah, know, that, that, that was <laughs> yeah. it. And then sometimes, oh, I need to fine tune that, and the second one was better. Yeah, and so that's your experience. Too? Oh, it is my experience, yeah. and I also think though too in the African American preaching tradition, the uh, the sermonic moment is really dialogical. So right. it, it the interplay between pulpit and pew yeah. really does something for the dynamism of the moment. Yeah. It so does. so it it can really depend on. So if the crowd is dead. Is your preaching less effective? You think? Well, or I less I, energized. I, How would you look at it? Those are those are good words. Effective and energized. I I would look at it. if the crowd is dead, then I'm probably rushing. Is that on you? Yeah, more it's, at drive. It, well, sometimes it's on them, but yeah. but I'm probably pushing through faster to get through it. Yeah. But when they are alive and in it, it's just kind of like. A good stew. I'm sitting down now, yeah, and, uh, and and all the spices are coming together. You know, I wish we had time to talk about the difference in preaching in an African American church and a and a, a white church. Uh, you know, in a white church, it's like when it is dead silent, uh-huh. and there's like no coughing, there's no moving. You've got them. Yeah. I mean, they're there. Yeah. That's happening to you in a black church. You're dead, son. You might just well sit <laughs> down, right? Yeah, you're flunking. Uh, at Buck Run, we're uh, we are ethnically diverse, mm-hmm. and so we have African Americans that are are very vocal, yeah. and uh, everybody celebrates that. In fact, uh, some of our our African American members have helped our mm-hmm. white members loosen up and be more vocal, and yeah. uh, things happen now that used to never happen in in a sermon, like applause in the middle of the sermon yeah. and people amening, and and it it is it is joyful. I would argue that all preaching is dialogical, hmm. but it's just not always expressed the same yeah. way as, as what you're accustomed yeah. to. Well, that's helpful. That's helpful. I, so, so for me, then in that moment, it, I am I'm kind of dancing with the church. Yeah, and so it's a great image in black preaching. There is sometimes if you can do it, like Ralph West or or Donald Parson or, or even H B. Yeah, um, the, the in their sermons with this. Uh, climactic oh, art of intonation robert smith oh my goodness yeah who, who will do it he does i love robert smith man because he it doesn't matter where he is he's right. gonna shut down you he know he's will. Shut yeah, yeah here he goes man yeah 
early <laughs> yes, on sir. Sunday morning. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> that that is it all day long. So it in our tradition then, and particularly in the pastorate, I'm looking for the congregation to go there with me. Amen. As a cue and a clue that, that that's that's good. Uh, otherwise, if they're sitting, then I'm yeah. not going there on my own. Yeah. Well, the, that the image of the dance, first of all, it it solidifies. I mean, this relationship between pastor and church, mm. shepherd and sheep, mm. it's a beautiful thing, mm. man. Uh, I you cannot explain it, but boy, the the joy in it and the freedom of preaching to people who love you and want to hear the yeah. word from you. There's nothing like it. Yeah, nothing man. like it. Yes, sir. Well. Uh, our conversation has gone by way too fast, but I always like to conclude uh, my time with a guest with what I call the twinkling of an eye round. Okay. All right. Just random questions. Just hit them uh, as quickly as you want. If you okay. want to elaborate, feel free. All right. All right. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, our gospel and R&B uh, mainly. I, I probably could tell you more artists. Uh, I like PJ Morton um, and I, I like Jonathan McReynolds. Um, but I, I listen to Fred Hammond and to Marvin Winans is my favorite singer oh, of all time. Man, I, I cut my teeth on the Winans way back when. Uh, uh, the question is. Yes, sir. Oh, I know. I, oh, man, I love him. Yes, I love sir. Him. All right. Uh, where did you propose to, to uh, your wife? I proposed to Kirsty in her living room uh, in, there in Champaign-Urbana. And the reason that's significant is because. Our first date, October 30th, 1998, her dad made us have what he called a couch date. So before I got to take her out the house, we had to have a date there in the living room on the couch. And so I went back to that place, to that couch to propose. I'd love to meet your father-in-law. He's, he's a man. Oh, he sounds like it. Uh, who's your favorite co commentator? Oh, uh, in terms of uh, oh, scripture? and Yeah, writing? yeah commentary. Mm -hmm. I think Daryl Bach. Oh, me, man, I'm using him in Luke right now. Phenomenal. Mm. Yeah, I've got maybe twenty commentaries on Luke, but he's the one I consult first. And that dude is a good dude. Yeah, like I mean, I got to meet him last year, and I was like, man, no wonder I love your stuff. Yeah, so I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah. The great, great guy. Uh, what's your favorite pizza? Well, you know, I had to give up cheese, man. So now it's a, it's a, it's a place called Aurelio's in Chicago. And it's a red tomato sauce with arugula, sausage, and pepperoni. But before that, it was beggar's pizza, sausage, pepperoni, and green peppers, and maybe a little bit of mushrooms with a lot of cheese. Uh, Chicago style? Well, so Chicago has two styles. You know, the deep dish is what we're famous for, but uh -huh. there's a thick, thin crust. So it's a thin crust, but they lay it on thick on yes. top of it. So that's right. my favorite. Yeah. Sounds great, man. What's your dream car? Oh, <laughs> I think a Lamborghini. Really? Yeah, I think a Lamborghini. I don't know that I'll drive one. The car that I have now, though, is really nice. We'll talk about that later. So, I, but, <laughs> but I'm I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, uh, mine's. I, I'm I'm sort of the classic. I'm an Audi A8. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah that's my dream car. <laughs> what book should every preacher read? Ooh, just one, huh? Yeah, you can name a couple. Jesus and the Disinherited by uh, Howard Thurman is, is one. Uh, the Journey and Promise of African-American Preaching by Kenyatta Gilbert uh, is another. And Brian Chappell's Christ-Centered Preaching uh, would, would be another. 
great recommendations. Uh, are you a morning person or a night owl? Both. Where would you like to go that you've never been? Paris. I have to take Kirsty to Paris. So, so I, that's that's where I'd like to go that we've never been. Well, that's a great choice. Well, I am glad, certainly, that you came here Thank and you. are on Pastor Well. It's been a joy to have you. I'm a great admirer, and it's a it's just an honor to have you as a friend. I thank God for you. I love man. cheering you on. Thank you. What a great ministry. And, man, let me just encourage you. I want you to finish well. Yes, sir. Stay faithful all yes, the way. Sir. God's got his hand on you, and, and you just bring yes, glory to Jesus. Man, know that uh, York's over here cheering for you. Man, man, listen, you didn't ask me, though, where did I want to preach that I hadn't preached yet? Buckrun. All right. Well, that's going to happen. All right. I'm I'm grateful. Uh, well, uh, thank you for tuning in to Pastor Well. I hope that you'll subscribe on YouTube or your favorite uh, app. But uh, we're glad that you've joined us. And we'll see you again next time on Pastor Well.